When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Munya Show here on the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove. Yes, I'm back in the host and chair with our Newcastle United to Aaron Stokes back in his usual position where he has nonsensical answers about the third striker options, but more on that in a moment. Thank you to Aaron for filling in last week on Horse and Duties. Thank you to Sam Mulner as well for popping on to the podcast. Stay tuned, actually, this week. We're going to launch a new series with Sam. It's going to be a bit more uh, fun, a bit more uh, across the board of football, but we're very excited to launch that. So stay tuned for that one. But we've got a lot to get into in this week's episode of the Monday Show. Newcastle's 2-2 draw with Bournemouth, the aforementioned issues up top, and the small matter of Dan Ashworth's imminent exit. We're coming to you live on YouTube, Facebook, and through our podcast channel as well. Wherever you join us, please give us a like and follow. Let's get on with the show. Aaron, you well? Yeah, very well. Nice, quiet Monday to ease us back into us two uh, being together, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You've been, um, been up too much? Um, oh, not too much, if I'm completely honest. I'm, uh, I'm having a little bit of wrist trouble. You're having a little bit of thumb trouble. We're having a... We're in the wars a little bit off at the minute. Yeah, but I, I'm going to say this is down to a footballing uh, injury. I, a bit of a cat and go, and I think that's what it is. I've damaged it. can't even bend it, so I can't go and go this evening. So. Any excuse to get out of uh, goalkeeping duties, is well, it? I'll have to just score an extra goal or two. Yeah, I'm back. Nice little break down in North Yorkshire, making the most of my National Trust membership. That's right, <laughs> ladies and gents, I am that old. Um, but you, I've come back nice and relaxed. You seem a little bit stressed. Has there been much going on? Well, I mean, it's hard not to be stressed when Newcastle United keep making life hard for themselves. It's St James's Park, the old fortresses, no more, and they're and they're struggling. So, I suspect that we're going to have a few disagreements today. There's a few negatives that we need to discuss, which we know we hate doing. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Oh, I'm ready for the disagreements. I don't like disagreeing with you, but if you're wrong, I'm going to have to tell you. And I think everyone knows exactly the specific disagreement that we're going to have later on in the show because right now there's only one place we can start and that is Dan Ashworth and Manchester United. And it's fair to say he's picked the right time to tend to his garden, hasn't he? Just heading into hmm. spring. Um, but this hasn't come as a surprise. We knew that Dave Brailsford, Sergio Macliffe's right-hand man, wanted Dan Ashworth at Manchester United even before uh, they got the, their 25% stake. You know, they were originally in for a full takeover. We knew about the, the long, drawn-out saga, but it was it was made known that Dan Ashworth, his friend, would have been his first choice were anything to come of uh, negotiations. Of course, Ineos have now got a 25% stake, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe is not waiting around. They've poached the fella from Manchester City, and now they're coming after Dan Ashworth. Um, what we weren't too sure about, Aaron because I've gone back and the first links came out in about November, December time. 
uh, Dan Ashworth to Manchester United. We weren't too sure about whether Dan Ashworth would fancy the job. Would he jump ship so early in the project? You know, after all, it was only back in November that he actually said, I'm really happy. It's a brilliant city club and project. Something's changed since then. Um, Ashworth has now told Newcastle he wants to go. As a result, he's been placed on Gardenland leave. We understand Newcastle put a figure of £20 million on Ashworth. And his garden leave may run until January 2026, which I had to double check with you. That's actually correct, hmm. because that seems an unbelievable time to wait for Dan Ashworth to go into his next job. Um, we expect some negotiations to happen. It doesn't appear my United want to pay that fee. and are quite happy to wait. We will wait and see. I guess the first question, Aaron, and it's what everyone's asking in the comments, it's just how big of a blow for Newcastle United is it when Dan Ashworth, as we think he will do, leaves for Manchester United? Uh, yeah, look, I don't think there's any sugarcoating it. I personally think it's an absolutely huge blow for Newcastle United. Um, but I think the last couple of days it's looked more and more ominous in terms of Dan Ashworth's position at the club. Now, Eddie Howe in the past has spoke publicly, have speaking to Dan Ashworth every day. And when he, the questions were put to him on Friday morning as to have you spoken to Dan Ashworth, it was no, I haven't spoken to him. Um, and there was also sort of no praise for Dan Ashworth outright. There was no sort of wishing him well. It was a few backhanded comments, should I say. One big comment that how made was talking about how you need stability in this job. Um, and there was also a question, obviously, of taking those trade secrets to Manchester United, um, which obviously is why, you know, this garden and leave is so important to make sure he's not just walking into this job fresh from, obviously, planning Newcastle United's future. It's a big, big blow, Um you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast in the last two years knows how much I've, you know, spoken highly of Dan Ashworth. You know, he is one of the best in his field. There's a reason Manchester United are going after him. Um, but it looks like it's done now. I know that we've, you know, we're going to talk about the, the huge fee Newcastle are asking for um, and the lengthy Garden League. But I think it would take a big, big U-turn um, for him to stay. And that at the minute doesn't look like it's going to happen. There's two questions to, to, to go on to after your answer there. I mean, first off, why is he wanting to leave? Because you look at what Newcastle United have done so far, look at the journey that they're going on, the ambitions that the owners have got, the wealth that eventually will be spent. Okay, they can't spend it now because of FFP and, and what have you. But, you know, in a few years' time, you know, when the sponsorship deals come in, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to be a proper... Uh, spending power in this league and they're going to be able to attract the very best they're going to be in the Champions League year after year they're going to be hopefully battling for the, the Premier League title it's a very exciting project but why is Dan Ashworth wanting to hop down the M62? Well I don't think this is going to be very popular with what I'm about to say in the next couple of minutes but I actually think the Manchester United project looks as exciting if not more and I know that's you know might be hard for Newcastle fans to hear and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people saying how can you say that but being offered the chance to restore Manchester United to their former glories for someone who has no allegiances to Newcastle United other than the fact that he's worked with them for the last 20 months I think that's a huge draw I was looking this morning and you know we're going to speak about the the fact that Newcastle have been stunted in what they can spend recently like the Premier League have but you look at what Manchester United are bringing in currently, £650 million in revenue last year, up 11% compared to what Newcastle brought in, which was a record £250 million. It's night and day, really. And Manchester United, with this takeover, 25%, with people that he knows very, very well in Jim Ratcliffe and Sir Dale, uh, Dave Brailsford, 
the fact they've brought in Omar Barada from Manchester City, the CEO of Manchester City, the fact that they're going for Jason Wilcox at Southampton, who is one of the best youth recruiters in the country, and now they're offering um, this to Dan Ashworth. It's a massively exciting project for him personally, but also I think Newcastle United fans rightly are, are well within their, their rights to feel a bit let down by Dan Ashworth. He's only been at the club 20 months. Um, he's spoken very recently of loving the project, as you mentioned, and um, he's only actually been here for transfer windows, hit and miss with some of the deals that he's done. But I think Newcastle United are undoubtedly stronger. So what they need to do now is they need to make sure they get every penny out of Manchester United that they can. And they need to get their skates on to make sure that they're attracting someone of the same quality to fill Dan Ashworth's shoes. It's going to be a difficult uh, task indeed. A lot has been made of control. How much control does Dan Ashworth really have here at St James's Park? Because we know the kind of command of chain, everything has to go back to, to Riyadh, back to the public investment fund. Any, especially any big moves, any big spends has to get signed off first. And that can take days if not weeks there can be a bit of uh, delay we often see when the private jet comes in things move really quickly but that obviously doesn't happen on a, on a weekly basis do you think the control element is, is a big attraction for Dan Ashworth when it comes to this My United job? Yeah 100% I think there's two ways to look at it and they both lead to the same answer and that is number one at Newcastle there's been a lot of rumblings about how much control he actually has Eddie Howe has um other people very, very close to him and is in a circle that he probably listens to. You've also got Amanda Staveley in there who, you know, anybody who's seen any of the, the Amazon footers or anyone that knows the inside workings of the club know that the minority owners are very, very involved. You then have, as you say, the Saudi element of, it, of getting it signed off. Now, when on the other hand, you go to Manchester United and you say, Jim Radcliffe's taken over 25% of the club and their entire team, the Ineos side now, is just to focus on the football operations. They have essentially got a blank cheque and a blank slate to say to whoever they want, you can come in and we want you to run this however you want to run it. And the man they've chosen above anyone else is Dan Ashworth, which I think shows just how highly he's rated among the game and should be at Newcastle United. Um, Do you think Newcastle might look back on it with slight regret if indeed... Dan Ashworth hasn't got the control that he wants. And again, this is all just rumour and whisper. But you think there might be a point where they look back and think maybe we should have taken off the reins slightly and, and given him a bit more of what he wanted? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because ultimately Eddie Eddie Howe is the man who makes the decisions. He has the final say on a lot of these calls. And um, I don't think they'll ever look back and say we shouldn't have backed Eddie or Ashworth. But I think ultimately you could look down the line and say you are losing a real, real top-class operator who you pursued for a long time when he was at Brighton. Best in his field. Everybody wanted him. Everybody knows what he can bring to a club. And Newcastle are losing him so early into this journey. But is it hindsight to say that? I don't know. Well, this is the other key point as well. I think Newcastle have been very clever in some ways. The new because of their own back and forth with Brighton, the compensation they paid. He had Gordon and Neve as well before he, he, he was allowed to take up the role at, at Newcastle. They knew that one day another club would come calling. People have pointed out Ashworth doesn't tend to stop at clubs all that long. Um, and what he tries to do, and he's spoken about it at Brighton, he tries to put in a system in place where when the day comes that he does leave, the system kind of just rumbles on without him. Now, we've, we've seen at Brighton, I think Steve Unsworth's gone in, and things have gone and grown and got better and better because he created such an environment that meant he could step out, someone could step in, fill his shoes. If they, as long as they were competent, 
it would it would run on. Now the big question is, has he been in long enough to do that here? And the way Newcastle have actually been clever is by putting in this big compensation fee, putting in this garden and leave. I mean, twenty twenty six is absolutely crackers. But my fear is that he probably hasn't been here long enough that he can just walk out and things continue. But then some might say, does it need to continue in, in, in the fashion it has done? Well, I would actually argue against that and say that it may actually continue as it is because, again, and this is something that sort of took me by surprise at Howe's press conference the other day, Howe was sort of asked to, to give a positive about Ashworth's time at the club and he came back and said one of the best things he's done is not change everything. And you think, okay, that's a bit of a startling comment. And I think it rings true because everybody points back to what he did at Brighton. I mean, he revolutionised that club from top to bottom. But it was a very different situation at a club where they had very little money. They were just coming into the Premier League for the first time. And Dan Ashworth had to make do with what he did, with what he had, sorry. And he did. He went and signed the best player in Ecuador. He went and signed the best player in Argentina. And then Brighton sold them both for £100 million. Um Newcastle was very, very different. He was coming into a club who had just had this huge influx of money who could do a lot more than they have. And I think we've seen shades of what he did at Brighton in terms of the youth recruitment. He's had a massive drive of signing young, talented academy players. He's obviously tried to get Livermento and Hall and players of that ilk in for decent fees, but they've got a longevity to them. Um, but you look at Brighton, there was no Sandro Tonali signings. There was no Alexander Isak signings. So it's different. Um but I don't think he's had long enough, as you say, to really, you know, when he goes, I don't think there need to be this big, big change up. I think I think he just hasn't been in the in the role long enough. In terms of Newcastle being clever with the big fear, I mean, twenty million pounds is a massive amount of money, and as we've mentioned, January twenty twenty six potentially is when he can next step into his role. They've been very clever, they haven't they? Because they've protected themselves really, really well. And it's a, it's a compliment to Dan Ashworth because they know how good he is and they've gone, OK, if someone does come knocking and if he is tempted for whatever reason, we want to make sure we get our money's worth. And that £20 million, and there's a reason why Manchester United aren't overly, overly willing to pay the £20 million fees because it'll have a massive impact on FFP for Newcastle. It's a really big amount. It's a really clever move. Do you think they'll get it? No, I don't think they'll get anywhere near it, if I'm completely honest. But it's a very, very good starting point to ask for around 15 to 20 million. I don't think they'll get anything near it. I mean, just to put into context, if they did get 20 million for Ashworth, which again, I don't think they will, it would be 400 times, sorry, four times the record of what anybody's paid for a sporting director. I mean, Newcastle only paid 5 million to get him out of Brighton um, 20 months ago. So I don't think they will get it. But as you say, it severely weakens Manchester United in the short term if they do. It gives them a huge boost, which they probably weren't expecting in the short term. Um, but ultimately, I think if if I was Manchester United, and I think it was I think it was Gary Neville saying something similar this morning. Yes, you might have to pay over the top to get Ashworth, but I think the money he will save them in the long run will probably make them think it's worth it. Um, Look, negotiations are expected to start this week. I don't think they'll get £20 million from, but it's a very good starting point to come down from. You know, if my night are, are really prepared to wait 20 months for Ashworth, the question that I would pose is Ashworth prepared to wait that long? Because that is a long time to be out of the game. And it's not as if Ineos aren't going to invest hugely into the squad in those three windows. Uh, you go in now, you've got a bit more control. I can see why it would be an attractive job to some. 
because it is a rebuilding job. They've wasted money. They've got individuals. They haven't really got a team. So it's a real root and branch job. But unlike Newcastle, Ashworth will have a bit more money to play with because, as we mentioned, the financial fair play. Um, and the draw being Manchester United. It, it, and I hate to say it, but it's a lot easier to persuade people to move to Manchester than it is Newcastle. Um, but this project at my night needs to start in the summer, doesn't it? And you can't touch it. You can't go anywhere near it. Legally, you can't. Like That's what the Garden Leave is all about. I'm not sure that's an attractive proposition. You're out of the game for a heck of a long time. Is Dan Ashworth really going to sit on the touchline and wait? I think that's a question for him rather than me. I, I don't know. Look, he's been through this at Brighton, although it certainly wasn't anything like you know two years that he had to wait to leave there. Um, and if he's still being paid by Newcastle United during that time, then what's to say he won't take the break and 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 refresh I, I, I don't know but I think as you say as we've just touched on there the, the amount Newcastle United are asking for is very small and they've also backed Manchester United into a corner with the length of the wait because they say if you want them before 2026 or the end of 2025 then you're going to have to pay the money which you suspect they would but it's just how much they, they come to an agreement for I say a touchline you can't sell a touchline exactly, yeah. sideline but I guess as well I'd be interested to know what scope garden leave covers because is it like he can go and he can go to say Brazil freelance and watch a yeah. few games and then he signs in 2026 and suddenly the, the teenager he's been watching over in Brazil as a Manchester United player does that cross the boundary slightly I don't know honestly, be interesting I'm, I'm to read sure. the book on garden leave <laughs> um, but yeah it's certainly going to be interesting to see how, how, how it plays out and I, and I guess what Newcastle United are also trying to do is protect, protect their plans now it's been reported that his access to, to you know to his laptop and all the scouting reports that has been been locked away from him, understandably, because they don't want them sharing transfer secrets. But Graham Souness made an interesting point today on Talk Sport that actually, you know, just because Newcastle are going for a player doesn't necessarily mean Manchester United aren't already aware of this player. So again, the lines blurred slightly. But can Newcastle protect themselves from from their plans getting out? Well, I think they can to a, to an extent, and I think you know having Ashworth away from the club during the next however many months he's he's not technically working for them. I think that certainly does protect them. I personally think this whole secret thing is a bit over-egged. I think, you know, what trade secrets is he actually going to take to to Manchester United apart from a couple of players that he was maybe wanting to sign, which, by the way, Newcastle will probably know about anyway because he's been working on um, the last three or four windows with them anyway. So that's my personal view on it and I think the secret's argument is just a little bit odd but um, it's 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 clear that they obviously want to protect their brand and if he has been you know put on this I mean considering he only told the club he wanted to leave this weekend and he's already been placed on gone and leave shows that they're wasting no time they're moving quick on yeah. and that's again it, it shows you that they're clever they're not hanging about and they will have already kind of scoped out potential replacements and we'll get onto that in a moment because it's um, it's quite interesting that you mentioned the inner circle that Eddie Howe's got and that will play into uh, the replacement. But I just want to ask you first off, I mean, there's no way back, is there, for Dan Ashworth? His bridges have been burned here. It, it certainly seems that way. I think, you know, I wouldn't. I would never say never. There's always a suggestion that Manchester United go, look, you're asking for far too much money and we also don't want to wait until 2026. And it sort of, you know, forces Ashworth back into the, the arms of Newcastle. But I think... Judging on what's been said the last couple of days, judging off Howe's reaction, I think it's done. And I also think 
that Dan Ashworth would not have came out and told Newcastle that he wants to go if he had not had assurances from Manchester United that I, A, this garden leave would be an issue or B, the compensation would be an issue. I think he's had the instruction from their side that this is going to happen. He can officially tell Newcastle that he's going. The fact that he wants to leave potentially because of a control issue, uh, potentially because of the funds that aren't there to be spent because of financial fair play and, and what have you, does that put off potential replacements or are Newcastle going to have a line waiting around the corner? No, I, I think I, I, I don't think Ashworth leaving is, is a stain or a negative for Newcastle in that sense. I don't think it, it paints them in a bad light. I actually think where this club is going on an upward trajectory with the wealth that they've in theory got or they're going to have in the next couple of seasons... I think you're going to have a lot of suitors for this job. There's a lot of candidates that are already out there as free agents where you think you know, they could really take Newcastle to the next level. Um, so I don't, think it, I don't think it's a slight on them at all. You mentioned there the inner circle that Eddie Howe has, the likes of Jason Tindall, Graham Jones is in there, people that he, that he, that he really trusts. Now, a lot was said when Dan Ashworth came in about how they'd worked before, they knew each other and you know they got on well. Do you think a replacement needs to be kind of in that inner circle for to to really work? Or is it good to have someone pushing you that that's not just going to say, yes, sir, you are right 100% of the time? You know, it's good to have that little bit of friction. Well, I mean, you look at Ashworth and if it is true about the, you know, the lack of communication and being in that circle, then I think you need to go the opposite way. Now, there is candidates that Newcastle could look to. I mean, Richard Hughes is one who's been mentioned and he's got a long-running um, association with Eddie Howe. There's also been a lot of talk about Andy Howe, who's already at the club, getting a little bit of a restructure from his role. Or you go the other way and you say, right, we'll bring someone in of Ashworth's ilk, who is very, very well-known around the world, um, has got a proven track record, and I'm talking about someone like... Um, the guy from Monaco whose name completely escapes me, uh, Mitchell, Paul Mitchell. Um, and you say, look, or, or Michael Edwards, who was at Liverpool. Now, I don't think that would happen because he, he's left the game and he's got other ventures. But those people who are known around the world, everywhere they've been, they've done fantastic work. I mean, Mitchell, who has just left Monaco last year, fantastic at Spurs, fantastic at Southampton, good everywhere he's been. Um so you've got two schools of thought. Do you go with someone who how trusts and knows? Or do you go with maybe someone who's been there and done it and can maybe go against how a little bit, but he's got the track record and the experience to prove it? And what about ex-players? We've seen Edu in Arsenal. Um, not, not doing too bad of a, a job there. I mean, someone like potentially... I've seen I've, I've seen some really wild and wacky suggestions. I mean, some poor lad on Twitter suggested Rafa Benitez and he didn't half get a pile on he apologised for the tweet shortly have you had after. any shouts for, for Keegan yet I'm Kevin Keegan I mean we could been... go digging and it wouldn't find us it wouldn't take very long to find there's bound uh, to be someone yeah, asking for KK yeah, but someone, I mean Les Ferdinand was another suggestion I, I've seen um, what, what do Newcastle need in this instance they, obviously they need someone like we said that Eddie Howe can trust and work with and the communications there they need someone who can work with Steve Nixon who I think has actually been forgotten about in all this because we've seen Certain reports claim that certain signs were down to Dan Ashworth, and they're not. They were down to Steve Nixon. He mm. knows how to spot a player. I think when the takeover happened, a lot of people felt he might be, you know, kicked down the road. He's here. You know, he was there on Saturday. He's he's a big part of what Newcastle United do. So they've got to bring in someone that can work with him as well and trust his judgment. Um, 
Is it going to be easy to find a, a replacement? Yeah, I think it will be. As, I, as I've just said, I think there's a lot of attraction around Newcastle, so much more so than there was three three or four years ago. Um, and I think if you're me, I think you need to go someone and get... You need to go and get someone of the same reputation as Ashworth. Someone who is, you know, industry-leading, best-in-class, you know, wanted by everyone else. If Manchester United are going to go and poach us, then we're going to go and get someone just as good as uh, Ashworth. Personally, sitting here now, if I had to guess then I think it would be the other way and I think it goes to someone who how knows, trusts and maybe hasn't got the pedigree but gets on and can instantly go into that inner circle, rightly or wrongly. We'll be working on that now, won't they, as well? Want to get this in um, for the for the, the window to come in the summer. Now, I did ask uh, people over the weekend about their thoughts on Darren Ashworth's imminent exit from Newcastle United and the response has been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so I'm going to read through some of the responses out and then I'll get your thoughts on it. So... Matt said, it's the same as any player. If he doesn't want to be here, get uh, the max you can for them and then let them leave. Uh, Toby says, it's a loss, but we signed Bruno Trippier before he came. We wanted Botman before he came and had to wait for the, till the summer. He signed Holland to Gnarly. Uh, no one bigger than the club, I'm afraid. Uh, Ollie says, it's a big blow at the project. Um, not being able to spend, which makes the job at Newcastle pretty pointless. In my night, he can spend freely. Um, another person referencing the Tenali signing. Uh, Mike says the sooner he's gone, the better. Get as much as possible in compensation. Um, and Peter says he jumps ship at every chance he gets. Brighton to Newcastle, then to Manchester United. What next? Real Madrid or Barcelona? <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think he's done so much at Newcastle, so he won't really be missed. Fair to say Peter's not a fan there. But you do, Aaron, think that people are slightly trying to rewrite history. Yeah, I do. But I, and I think it's natural because, you know, Newcastle United fans are a very proud bunch and they don't like anybody, you know, thinking that they're bigger than the club or moving on to past just new and especially to a rival like Manchester United. But I do think there is a little bit of, you know, rewriting history and what's the right word? Because I was going to use petulance, but it's not petulance. But you know what Playing I mean? Playing down how good he yeah, is. Yeah, and I think I think... You know, a lot of people have pointed to Tenali and I and I generally feel a bit sorry for Ashworth because I don't know what he could have done other than illegally tampering and hacking Tenali's phone to really know that he had a gambling problem. Um, a lot of people have obviously mentioned Lewis Hall, which I can understand, but actually when you look at what he did at Chelsea, it looked like a really, really good deal on paper. And I actually think you look at some of the signings he has been involved with and they're actually better. There's more positives than negatives. I think you've got to look at Gordon and Pope and Isaac and... Um, players like that you look at what they've tried to do at youth level bringing in some really really good players and signings like Jan Kuba Minter who are Ashworth's bread and butter plucked from relative obscurity you know Newcastle pretty much had first refusal on him in the summer so I do think there is that little bit of you know he's now he's on his way people are saying well you know we never wanted him anyway and I think three months ago when he was pledging his loyalty to the club I think there was probably a lot of people celebrating who are now trying to sort of diminish that we're a fickle bunch, aren't we, fans, football fans across the game. Um, we've got a lot of people in the comments saying there's hope for Michael Edwards to come in or Paul Mitchell, as you mentioned. Uh, one comment here is saying be disappointed if we get the, the Bournemouth director of football. Um, Roger saying Kevin Keegan is 74. He's saying he's too old, potentially. I mean, we're not saying Kevin Keegan should get that job at all. Um, Il Corvo says if people are losing their minds over this, just wait until the summer <laughs> window. Because there's a feeling that one potential big player will need to be sold to help with FFP. Can you imagine the uproar if Bruno goes now? 
oh well you know he, he jumped shit he's he rubbish was, he was never that good anyway he was always overrated and you know good riddance but to it him. Goes, but that's exactly what I can see it being like it goes back doesn't it and I, I'm not saying having your cast like finals like this and I'm including ourselves in this it goes back to just being prepared for the exits of everybody because that's just football. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago about loyalty and some have this really misguided belief that players are going to be loyal or director of football, managers are going to be... There's no loyalty in football. You know, you look at Alan Shearer, he was a rarity. Players don't stay for long periods of time. Harry Kane leaving Spurs, I mean, that's gone remarkably well by Munich, hasn't it? But the point being... You know, if you're sitting around thinking players are going to be loyal and, and appointments are going to be loyal, you're going to get hurt somewhere down the line. And this is this is still all relatively new for Newcastle fans. Since the, since the takeover, they've lost very few, but they've brought in so many. I mean, you can only really point at Alan St. Maximum, which sort of split opinion anyway, as to, you know, the only real loss they've had where people felt like this. And Ashworth um, obviously isn't a player, but he's a very big name who they fought very hard to get. And now... So soon in the journey, he's jumping ship. I, f- I, f- I understand why Newcastle fans are, you know, as I said before, sort of rewriting history. I get it that they they don't want to see their best assets go to a team like Man United, who many of them will look at and think Newcastle are on the way up and Man United have been on the way down for the last 10 years. I just think there's more to look at it. But I but I understand why people are doing it. But it, it does raise the point that I think Newcastle fans need to get used to or, or at least come to expect that more, I mean, more devastating excess than this will happen in the next couple of years. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you surprised at the coverage? I mean, it's been wall to wall, hasn't it? Um, yes and no. I mean, not not really, um, because I think it's just the, the way of football these days and, you know, the constant role and coverage of it. Um, but what I also think is that I'm pretty much you know sick of it already. I would quite happily see him just you know, go tomorrow and have it done with. Eddie Howe clearly wants it over and done with. He made that much clear on Friday. And I think it's probably better now for a clean break. I would hate to see these negotiations drag on for a year and it just be hanging over both clubs. Um, try and get a good free for him. Let him go. So we're there. Get so a replacement. So they want 20 million now, 2026 which January. Won't get. Hmm? Which they won't get. Which they won't get. So what? what is an ideal fee? In, in, in your uh, case, and, and when should he be allowed to take over at Manchester United? I think if you can get a deal, and this is just me personally, so don't don't shout at me in the comments. Um, I think if you can get £10 million and he starts in the summer, or he starts at the start of next season after the summer window, I think you take it. Darren Lee says, I would say £30 million pounds for that. Uh, well, Martin's, Martin Samuel in the, is it the mail? Times. Well, the Times. He's left now. Um, Asking, saying that they should have asked for sixty million. I'm not sure where he where he put that figure from. That got a lot of positive responses from Newcastle fans, but I don't know how uh, how realistic it is. We should not roll over for Manchester United, says Niall. Uh, Graham says Newcastle now will look far different in five years' time. It will evolve. And Jake wants fifty million plus Maguire for Dan Ashworth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there we have it we are going to wait and see negotiations are expected to take place this week and I do unfortunately think they will rumble on and on and on because I think Newcastle are going to stick their heels in the ground they're well, not going to roll over yeah no, I, I don't want them to just roll over of course but I think I was just talking from a personal point of view as somebody who has to cover Newcastle United all day I don't know how much stamina I've got for another six months of covering Ashworth but we'll see so we've already been beaten out of you <laughs> shall we talk 
some football. Oh, was, was there a game on at the weekend? It's not going to get any more positive, is it, really, here? Um, Newcastle United 2, Bournemouth 2, one of the worst first halves I've ever seen. Uh, very flat, <laughs> few chances, real lack of quality in the whole game. I don't like quality, to be fair. And United on top in the second half, Dubrovka slips, long as he scores, Gordon levels with a penalty. Uh, Semeno puts the cherries back ahead before last gasp goal for Matt Ritchie brings it all square in terms of where Newcastle United want to be Aaron I know they've got injuries um, so I'll let you include that in your answer is it a poor result? Yeah definitely um, I think you look at the fact that Newcastle United were at home good run um, since the winter break Bournemouth without a win since Boxing Day I believe Newcastle United should be winning those games and yet again we're watching Newcastle United who continue to shoot themselves in the foot, continue to give sloppy goals away, continue to have to fight back in heroic fashion against teams that should really be beaten. I don't think, and I know it sounds hypocritical because I put a tweet out yesterday morning, you know, trying to highlight the positives, but overall it was a, it was a negative result, definitely. Don't you worry, that tweet is going to surface very <laughs> soon, my friend. I stand by it. Are you getting sick of saying, what character... Brilliant, the fourth back. Or can you praise no. the character because you need it and it is great to see that they, that they can fight back from being behind, they can get last-minute goals. And, but you can also be critical of them being consistently in that position where they need to fight back. Yeah, I'll, I'll, ne I'll never, ever, ever criticise or get tired of saying that they fought back. The thing that I'm annoyed at is the fact that they keep putting themselves in the position that they need to fight back. You know, look, I, I don't want to point the blame to Bravka because it was it was a slip on the wet ground. Yeah, he kept Newcastle and he made exactly, exactly. two great saves in the first half and another one in the, in the second. But also Newcastle missed chances to take the lead in that game, which they should have scored. Um, as you say, the first half performance, I don't think it was very good. I don't think there was much fluency there. Um, so I think, you know, where's this Newcastle United gone of last season where they were just absolutely battering teams out of sight at home? You know, you think about even Villa at the start of the season. Um you know, where's that Newcastle gone that you think, right, we've got a home game today against a you know, bottom five opposition, they're gonna be out of sight by the hour mark. I feel like Newcastle have just lost that edge to them at home. So what's missing? Um, what is the ingredient? Is it down to injuries and then that's the knock on effect? You can I, feel I, it in the crowd and the players there's not the option to I, change it. I don't think you can put your finger on one thing. I think it's a number of things. I think um the defence for whatever reason and I'm not just talking about one certain player who plays at left back here, I'm talking about the back five for whatever reason cannot can just not get it together. I think there's players out of form who could really on another day, in another time, um do the real break, but Newcastle don't have the options to. That midfield keeps getting bypassed far too easily. Um despite I think two of the three midfielders having a really good game on Saturday. They're, they're too they're too bad in transition. They're too similar. Um and then the injuries, yes, you know, with Alexander Isak on the pitch, would we have won that game? Potentially. So there's a couple of things. Um and also I know we're going to touch on the atmosphere. I think it is a little bit flat at home games at the minute. But it's hard for Newcastle fans because you know, you've had the highs of PSG at home and you've beaten the big teams at home. Can you really motivate yourself for Bournemouth and Luton, I don't know. So, I think there's a number of reasons. You should uh, be able to. I mean, again, I, I speak as a fan here. We're always going on about how great it is up there and how we're, we're, we're set aside from, from most other clubs. But let's be honest here. Other than the last six minutes of that game, yeah, it was really poor. that was a really shocking poor. atmosphere. Really poor. But I think that was a bit, little bit down to the performance. The first half was, was hard to get G'd up for. And I, I know you should, you'll should you say, well, you know, fans should be doing it no matter what. But... It's hard when Newcastle aren't on top and they're not dominating and they're, they're struggling. Um, 
I mean, I've never heard St James's Park so quiet as when Solanke scored. It felt like the wind was knocked out of them. So again, you have to go back to praising them for actually picking themselves up, responding well. They got very, very lucky, I think, to get that penalty um, and give them a way back into it. But then again, they come undone. So th there's real issues there that, that need to be uh, looked at. I think if anybody's listened to the last two or three podcasts with Gibbo, he, he keeps banging on about it. But that defence is really lacking in pace, really, really lacking in options. Um, I don't think the centre-back partnership is working as well as it has done. I think Bachman the other day was really, really poor. Yeah. Um, he looks like he's lost a yard of pace since the knee injury. Um, Byrne looks overexposed every time, and he's and I think his confidence looks short. Debravka, for as for as good as he's been, shot stopping, I think he just does not command that back four in the box as well as Pope does. It's like he's stuck. It's like he's got a. He's always on his line, isn't yeah, he? He, he never comes out. out, and when he does come out, he looks like he's in no man's land. So. Look, I mean, we could sit here and talk for the next two hours about what's going wrong at Newcastle, but we shouldn't. We should we should look for the... Well, positives. we've got some positives written down, so don't we? We are going to get to that. Um, Eddie Howe said after the game, we're returning to hopefully some kind of consistency in terms of getting results, and they are they four are. unbeaten in the league, two wins, two draws, and of course you've got the two cup games. Yeah. So there are, there are green shoots of, of recovery, but they're stunted those uh, green shoots of recovery by the injuries and we're going to have to start with the obvious and that is the lack of a striker and I actually think Newcastle played okay going forward uh, they created chances I mean we have to accept that defensively yeah. shocking but at least they are scoring goals and I think it's quite ironic that for weeks we've been seeing that Alexander Izak and Callum Wilson aren't getting the service and yet on Saturday yeah. the service was there but without the instinctive striker to finish it there were real chances Gordon in the first half with a header uh, Gordon in the second half when he should have dinked it over the top of him, but he tried to take it round. Half chances, the ball over to Jacob Murphy in the second half. Some delightful crosses in the box. Everyone sit down. Miguel Almiron, right-footed cross, beautiful cross. In the first half, he put one in with his left foot. No one gambling. You know, you got Wilson there, you got Isaac on the last man. They're gambling, back of the net. That's what's missing. You've got a mixture of Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes up top. None of them have that instinctive nature about them that a Wilson or Isaac has. And that really worries me going forward because let's say Isaac's back uh, for Arsenal. I think that's probably touch and go. You're then relying on him to get through the end of the season. I don't think he can do it. Mm. I do not think he can do it. And even if he does it fitness-wise, he's not going to be scoring every single game, is he? He's going to be out of form for certain parts of the game. He's got to get back to match fitness. His body, I don't think, can handle that. There's no options. So I'm worried. I'm, I'm really worried about just putting the ball in the back of the net and, and, and winning games. Yeah, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I thought um, I was really looking forward to that front three playing on Saturday. Really? Um, yeah, I really was. But why? Because I think, well, I've wanted to, obviously, Barnes starting was a, was a big um, boost. I mean, look, it's hard to get excited about Miggy these days. But I thought, you know what? Okay, that, that that's not too bad on paper. I actually thought Barnes and Miggy were really, really poor. Um, Miggy, just sick of having the same conversation about. Him what what, what was it this week? This week, it's the de the decision to shoot when Anthony Gorn is in. I'm going to defend him. Oh on that. come on! Right? No, now now look, he, he should have passed to Gordon, but right, Gordon's in the same position. I does he take a shot himself? I I honestly, there's a, there's a time when if if Miggy passed that ball. And it hadn't come off, and Gordon had been intercepted, it, it, or, or what have you. Miggy would then been criticised for not shooting when the but goal was he, there. He wouldn't have been this time, though. He, he wouldn't mm. have been. Uh, he took 
10 seconds too long to make the decision when he was running through anyway, which we've seen time and time again. He can't make the decisions quick enough. The shot was absolutely woeful. It wasn't um, a good shot, granted. But first first off, he was the only one really trying to get anything on goal. And look, I just think th- there's a lot of people saying Dan Burns' scapegoat, it's really unfair. But those same people are now jumping on Miggy's back and have been on Miggy's back for a long time. Uh, and uh, for me, the same applies to Dan Burns as it does to Miggy. Criticise his play, don't make him a scapegoat. I find it difficult to really be on his back for shooting on goal when the chance when was there. When there's a much better option. Well, and he should pass. have passed it, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lay into him for it because you know, we've criticized him for so long for not having the confidence to shoot. He shot, yes, it didn't come off, yes, he should have passed it, but you know, Gordon in that position, is he passing that ball? Yeah, I think he is. Alan Shearer in that position is he passing that ball? Yeah, but, I mean, come on, are you, are you comparing Miggy Almond, <laughs> no, Alan course, Shearer? I'm, so, not, I'm not, but... Back to my original point, I can't remember where Sorry, we were. Sorry, you were talking about um, enjoying that fourth three. Well, on paper, I thought, okay, this isn't too bad. Um, as you all know, I, I've got absolutely no problem with going through the middle. I, I really like him there. Um, but I thought Miggy was poor. I thought Barnes was, was poor, which is a shame um, because I think he's been really, really positive since he came back. Um and Gordon, I mean, the headed chance in the first half, I think is harder than you're going to make out. I think it's actually, the, the ball from Trippy is fantastic, but I think the way it bounces just in front of him is actually tricky. The the one in the second half, I think he should have finished it when he's one-on-one. I think Neto does really well to come out. I don't think Gordon th- realises that he's there as he goes to take it around him. He should have finished it. Um, I think he looked uncomfortable. I think he looked uncomfortable <sighs> in that central role. And you've tweeted out you mentioned the tweet just before I actually like Gordon through the middle offers a lot both with or without the ball arguably more than Wilson does that's what you that's what you've written there it's your tweet isn't it has yeah sorry I, I didn't know whether you just conveniently left something off the end of that tweet which you haven't um but what <laughs> but what I what I mean by the Wilson thing is and I probably should have worded it better but in the last couple of weeks what what has Wilson offered but on it, or off the ball. And I think Gordon in that position offers a lot more um, without the ball than Wilson does. You can argue the finishing, yeah, you know, Wilson probably could have taken one of those two but chances. That's what he's there to do in that position, Saturday. though. But I, I, actually, I, I like Gordon through the middle, and so I don't think you he looked uncomfortable at all. Both fit. You pick Gordon over Wilson in the middle? No, I would, no I would pick Wilson. Hesitated. No, I would pick Wilson over the two of them, but I think... Again, this is people, I mean, not people, but this might be you rewriting history. We've just spent the last six weeks saying Wilson's off the pace, he's offering nothing, he's playing like he's wearing jeans. All these stuff that gets aimed at him on social media. And then all of a sudden he's out the team and Gordon has an off day and you're thinking, oh, you know, that's nonsense. Wilson has offered nothing. But I think it goes back to the original point that I made. The service on Saturday was there. There were crosses into the box, which if you're Callum Wilson, you know where you need to be. Gordon... Is much better out on the flank, and we saw that. How many times yeah, did he drift he, and the squats? And you had Harvey Barnes looking so uncomfortable in the middle. Then Jacob Murphy up front. It didn't work. And I think the other point there is that Gordon can fill in that role. You know, we've seen it with England. He he he, he can do it. He might not have the instinctive nature but of a Wilson that is, or Isaac. That, that is he my point, it. though. He he can't play as a centre forward. But right, okay. But then what is the point of switching? Barnes in the middle, Murphy in the middle, two players who cannot do it. 
not a chance. You might as well put you up top and you'll probably do a better a better a, role, even with your own name. But the point being, it, it, Gordon is the only option Yeah, at this no, moment. So why are you switching and putting two wingers you are so out of the depth in that role? I, I don't understand. I, I, I honestly don't know. And I think it was really, really baffling when Newcastle were chasing the game at the end um, of the second half and Jacob Murphy comes on as a central striker, a role that I don't think he's ever played in for Newcastle United, or even in his career. Jacob Murphy through the middle, I don't understand why. And he did have a tendency to put Gordon out on the left. He did it at the very start of the second half, but Gordon through the middle, uh, sorry, Barnes through the middle, I, I don't know. I don't know why he did it. Look, but, but what I will say, Gordon is better off the left. I'm not I'm not saying he's not. Um, but I actually think he he looked quite comfortable through the middle. And I think what he offers on the last man, playing on the shoulder, is actually, he looks, he looks I, I all right. I don't think he does. I, I don't I think I just, he Because he, he, I think he himself wants to be out further wide. And there was a couple of chances when he's getting the ball and he's looking across. But, but he's spoken about playing centrally as no, being his favourite position. So, But his, his best position is out on the left. Yeah, yeah. And he's looking across the ball in the box but what, and there's no one there to cross it to. Because but, he's the man that should be there when because he's picked that central striker. Yeah, no, 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 I completely get that. But I, but I think, and it, and it goes back to your point of how needn't actually keep him there through the middle and not you know switching him mid half. But I don't think he's got the. I, but then again, I don't think he has the discipline to to play as a central mm. striker. He can do it, but you, you watch him and he, he just naturally kind of gravitates out to the left because that's. You know where his body's leading, what his mind's leading to. But Isaac he's does that a lot, though. They're, I think they're very similar in what they offer when you castle or transitioning. I think they both like to drift. Isaac likes to come deep. Gordon likes to spin off the defender and go wide. I'd, I I thought he played all right up front, and I and I was I don't think he looked uncomfortable in that position whatsoever. I don't think he had a bad game by any, by the way. No one. He was the best of the three. Uh, yeah. I mean, he should have taken the chances. That I just he had, think. But, there was enough crosses into the box where you're thinking someone just gamble and mm. I just don't think he has that and it's it's a very difficult skill to have. You know, you're a top striker if you have it, you know, waiting on the last man, gambling, anticipating it. And for me, I just I think he prefers, prefers to be the provider rather than the goal scorer in that situation. His goals come from getting the ball out on the flank, running at defenders. He's not the man to wait on the penalty spot or the edge of the box and gamble on that cross. That's what was missing on Saturday. You give Callum Wilson, Alexander Isaac, those crosses into the box that were there on Saturday, you were winning that game 2-3-4. Mm. Goals for the good. In my view, I might be wrong. Um, there's a few comments um, who are coming back at us here. Um, Niall says, Miggy has his head down the whole time. Look, he didn't play brilliantly on, on Saturday. But I actually did think after that chance that he, that he missed, his defensive work rate was, was superb on Saturday. There were some mm. really crucial interceptions, but I'm not going to sit here and defend him anymore because I'm going to get a, an onslaught of abuse here. Um, the Mighty Win says, finishing, we finished fourth last season and our two major improvement signings have been unavailable. All the injuries, uh, for me, there's far too much doom and gloom and finger pointing. Uh, El Corvo says, Gordon does offer more than Wilson. Miles, a better player, just not a current goal scorer. Jake says, Gordon is better on the left. Roger says, Yet, Aaron, he looked a shed load better when back out on the left wing. Yeah, he's better on the left, but what what's the alternative at the minute? Well, that's the next question I'm going to ask you because, as I said, I don't think you can rely on Isaac even if he's back next week. I, I fear that after three or four games, we'll probably be back in the same position where we haven't got an out-and-out striker. And anyhow, 
just doesn't seem keen on turning to the youth. You know, you sent Michael Andweeney out on loan to an, an Athletic. Score on Saturday, by the way, got his first goal. But that is League One in Scotland, so that probably tells you more than you need to know about whether he'd be ready or not. We've got Ben Parkinson, Turner Cooks with, uh, returned. Amadou Diallo has been in the first team squad, but he's more of a, a player on the left. There's no options in the youth ranks either, is there? No, not at all. And I think that that, that means it's, it's sort of a pointless argument to have at the minute because there is nothing. For as long as Isaac is out, it's going to be going through the middle. There's no other way to to dress it up, um, which also might be might be a blessing. I mean, this is a lad who's only actually started through the middle three times this season. Bournemouth away, Fulham at home maybe, and then on Saturday, maybe if I'm right, I might be a little bit out on there. But he hasn't started through the middle regularly. He might just need a little run of games. And before you know it, he's getting into those positions which you're criticising for not. Well, hopefully he gets the goal. Someone's just uh, said, stick share up front. Sam Mulner was... was uh, saying that last week, half joking, but I think half serious. Well, given the fact he goes off with his yeah. arm and a well, uh, ready-made sling, exactly. I mean, you, you can't, you couldn't make up the injuries, could you? You worried about that one? Didn't look good. Yeah, it really didn't look good. Um, looks like it's his wrist, absolute carbon copy of what happened to Wilson. Literally last kick of the game, um, and it's a similar injury. It, it's you just can't believe the luck at the moment. So what is then? Give me it. What is the? The, the option for Eddie Howe up front, is it just stick with Gordon? Yeah, 100%. stick and alternating the three on the wings? Or, or does he have just to say, Gordon, I, I love you out on the left wing, but you're going to have to stick centrally? Because that's probably the only other thing you can do, sit him down and say, we need you with that central role. It's difficult because the, there's been times the last few weeks when Gordon has played through the middle Um and Newcastle have the ball and Bruno or Miley's got it and they're about to ping a nice ball over the top and Miley drifts. And it's and it, I think it's all right. They're still in a good position. He's scored that he, he's shown that he can score from that position before. That's when he needs Barnes and Miggy or Murphy to offer a little bit more, to offer him those options so that if he has drifted wide, they're still getting players in goal scoring positions. Um I think give him time in the centre role and he'll come good. I'm I'm so I mean, I'm so far into this argument now that I, I can't turn around now. But I do generally believe, give him enough time up front, I generally do think it will work. Do Newcastle United need a third striker? Um, yeah, they do. But a lot depends on what happens with Wilson in the summer. I think they probably do need one anyway. But again, I know you're gonna you're gonna shout at us. But again, how high up the ranking doesn't sit. I don't know. Do you maybe need a first choice left back more? Yes. Do you need maybe a first choice winger more? Yes. So what? Maybe third on me on my list of priorities. I think at the that's minute. that's higher than I was anticipating. Yeah. Well, I, no, no, I, I I do think it. Um, and I think if Wilson goes in the summer, which isn't out of the question. I mean, even given his injury records, the fact that Gordon, as we say, is better as a winger. I'm not advocating for him being a, a striker full time. Um, yeah, I think I think they probably do. Mm. Okay, you've come round. You've come round. Sadly, you've come round for all the the worst reasons, given the injuries. And after the transfer window, so it makes no difference anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, the big Dan Byrne debate. Another week, another goal from his side, and the debate rages on. Uh, not helped. Uh, in the view of some, that yet again, Dan Byrne was brought off 14 Livermento after the opposition scored. But did he do too much wrong on Saturday? No, I don't think he did. And again, I'm going to get pelters in the comments, but I stand by it. I don't actually think he had a bad game. I think he was relatively solid against another little 
quick, um, skillful winger in Semenyo. One thing I will say is that I, I think he can do better for the goal. I think he maybe backs off for a second too long. But then again, to play devil's advocate, does Semenyo take the shot early and catch Dubravka and Burn by surprise? Maybe. But I do wonder, backing off is one of my most hated things when I'm watching a fullback. I do not like it. Especially when you haven't got the pace if he does get past you. But I've, but I've watched the goal back again and I actually think if Byrne, it, you can flip it and say if Byrne doesn't back off and he dives in and he gets skinned, people are saying, why did you dive in? So I actually thought, just on a, on a more general point, that Byrne didn't do too much wrong. I don't think he had a good game by any stretch, but if I'm honest, I don't think any of the back four really did. Trippier was okay, but... Um, but it's becoming, I say it's becoming apparent, it, it was already apparent to most of us that that left-hand side is now becoming the weak link. Managers, opposition managers are, are targeting Dan Byrne and uh, more often than not, they're getting success. Yeah, they are. And I, and I think the, the more general point that we need to be discussing rather than just being Byrne's performances and, and how he's played is actually how long are we going to put up with this before Eddie Howe takes him out of the team? Because everybody can see it's not working down that left-hand side. Everybody can see that every single game now, they're going behind from a goal that happens down that channel and then Dan Burns getting hauled off. For him personally, for the sake of his mental health, how many times is he going to be, you know, sort of thrown to the lines like that? I think he, I think he plays um, against Arsenal. Yeah, I so do I. See him but, but I don't think that's right. That he does. Not at all. And I, I was watching match of the other day and uh, you saw Pedro Neto. We talked about Pedro Neto last week. What a fantastic player he is. And he was just tearing up the opposition. Left I mean, back. Was, it Spurs? was it Spurs? Spurs yeah. on Saturday. Tearing yeah. up the left back at Spurs for fun. That that kept me awake. And I haven't, you're right, we didn't even <laughs> that's mention two Saka. Weeks <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's what I'm, I'm dreading. And, and I, I think he keeps him in the side. He's, you know, he, he he's been consistently asked about it over the last uh, few weeks, and he's he's backed them and he's backed them. He's not ever going to throw one of the books. But this is the thing. This is this is the thing. Eddie Eddie Howe is making the rod for his own back, because one, I, I completely understand Eddie Howe is never going to throw his players under the bus, and I respect that. And I think if anybody should deserve a bit of loyalty, it's Dan Byrne, given what he's done for the club in the last couple of seasons. But it is get now getting to the stage where it's getting toxic, and Eddie Howe, t- to put it bluntly, is burying his head in the sand, because we ask him questions about Dan Byrne, and he looks at us as if he's never heard this stuff before, and he says he can't understand the criticism. Well, surely everybody can see, apart from you, that Newcastle's left side, sorry, yeah, Newcastle's left side is getting targeted, and it's not protected enough. I, I and I agree with the, the toxicity point because there was a moment on Saturday in the first half and it was the, the first time Dan Byrne got beat for pace by I think it was Justin Clivert and the reaction from the crowd it was kind of a silent groan but you felt it it, it, it was kind of apathy in a way like they're exp- every time a pace winger goes up against Dan Byrne they are expecting them to get beat and that is not a good place to be. But how, how, I mean, how many times have we sat here and had this argument? I feel like we're having, the, not this argument, but this conversation. I feel like we're talking about this more than the third strike of the bait, and I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> For me, Eddie Howe is in a win-win situation because if he plays Tino Livermento at left-back, he gets the fans off his back. Dan Byrne gets taken out of the spotlight for a week. Um, and if it works... 
then Tino Livermento has a good game, then it's worked. Brilliant. If he doesn't, then Eddie Howe can turn around and say, I've tried it, it didn't work. We're going back to the way that I want to do it. So, But I agree with you. I think Burn will start on Saturday. Um, and I think also it's not just on Burn. I think, again, that midfield just looks so... They're not offering the protection. They're not offering any protection. They look they look completely lost when a team is trying to counter-attack them. Um, I don't think Burn, again, got half as much protection as he should have from Barnes. Um so it's not just it's not just Dan Byrne, and it's not Dan Byrne's fault that he doesn't have any pace anymore. It's up to Eddie Howe to make sure that Newcastle United aren't getting caught down that left hand side, and they continually are. Uh, Niall says Julian has masked this for so long. DX cases Byrne is world class in some ways, great in the air, incredibly strong, but he is so slow. Imagine Saka versus Byrne this week, and and yeah, I thought he battled well in the air with very uh, good early. Yeah, he was um, he, he wasn't he wasn't actually too bad on Saturday, but everybody will point to the fact that Newcastle have again conceded down his side, and it makes it look like he was terrible when he wasn't. Um, Robert says I'm not looking forward to Saka running at Byrne on Saturday. It could get embarrassing. Um, to kind of faces, I'd have confidence in it and a strike a shoot from there, to be honest. Bravka must do better on that shot. Dan Byrne only needs to take out the squad because there's no support from the fans and it's everyone can see problems on the left, apart from Eddie is crazy. Um, you really think Eddie doesn't see it? Well, if he does, he's not putting anything in there to stop it, is he? What, 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 let's, let's say he does see it. Does he not trust Livermento? Are you going to wheel out your theory about him not having the options, but now he's got the options or to, to, to make more forward changes. People will say, where's Lewis Hall? We're not even going to bother answering that one. But if he does see it, because come on, he must see it, right? He must see it. He can't. He, he's, a, he's a fantastic Premier League manager. He's experienced. He's very clever. He must see it, right? So why isn't he making a, a change? You could go back to the theory that we had a couple of weeks ago about Livermento and being an option at the other end of the pitch. I mean, you can also go back to the fact that Livermento isn't even a left back. We're talking about replacing Dan Byrne with a player who has only really played left back two or three times this season, and yes, played very well. Um, look, I don't know, but again, I think I, I sort of think it's pointless to even talk about it any further because well, I said this to you on Saturday, didn't I? When you texted us, I said it's, it's an irrelevant. You you asked me, you said what do you make of Dan Byrne? I said it's an irrelevant question because. He's going to be in the starting line. Yeah, that's come, the thing. Mm-hmm. Come Marcel Wolves. Uh, Jim says, it's called sticking up for your players. Byrne was part of one of the best defences last season. I'd listen to how rather than you two. Well, thank you very uh, much, Jim, uh, for that. Tony says, so true about Eddie bowing his head in the sands. Byrne will start on Saturday and Saturday will be running a burn like the last time we played them. Now, I did ask players, uh, players fans, <laughs> uh, readers, listeners on Saturday about how they solve the defensive issue as a whole. Because, as you've mentioned, it's not just down to Dan Byrne. The whole defence is looking vulnerable. As you see, Botman looks like he's lost a yard of pace. Share, his share, Trippier. One thing that was noticeable, actually, before I get into the comments, I had 72 replies. I'm not going to read through them all. I'll read through some of them. But did you notice, um, we're talking about the support for Dan Byrne, and the, 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 there doesn't seem to be that kind of... Do you remember that famous picture from last season of the four and Nick Pope and together. Pope. Mm-hmm. I think that's missing. Now, obviously, Nick Pope's missing, but there seems to be that element of it missing. And it was quite interesting. No one was going over Dan Byrne, you know, come on, it's all right. Dubravka, if you notice for the goal, and we'll get on to his mistake in a moment, no, no one ran over to Dubravka. Mm-hmm. Put an arm around him, so it's going to be all right, mate. 
And to me, that I think that rolls into the issues they've got at the back because there just doesn't seem to be that cohesion. It doesn't. It. I mean, Jim just mentioned it in the comments there. They were they were part of the la- the best defense in the league last season, and they just look. It looks like night and day when you compare it to now. I just think you can't really put your finger on what's wrong. I think, as pe- plenty of people have mentioned, that midfield is critical in the fact that Joe Linton isn't in there offering a little bit of protection it is massive. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just do not know why why they're not sticking. Uh, Niall says, Eddie won't change anyway. Uh, stubbornness could be the death of him, he says there. Steve says, Dan Byrne is not a left-back, so let's give Dan a rest. Uh, Derek says, if we put Livermento in the same scenario, it, it, the goal still happens. And Truels says, uh, we're bad in defence because they don't trust Dubravka. We'll get on to that point in a moment. Now, I did ask fans the solution to the defensive issues. It's fair to say the Joe Linton gif came out several dozen times <laughs> in the 72 replies I had. I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to call it the best response, but I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic here. And it's from my, uh, my, my dad. His suggestion was, and he did tweet back to me saying, Move Dan, because he's on personal terms with Dan Ben. Move Dan to midfield and go root one off his head and bring Tino in. Fair to say my dad's not becoming a Premier League manager anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, that's quite radical, isn't it? To be it sure. is. But there were some radical responses um, in it. Uh, Fabian Scher being moved into the centre of the park was, was quite a common response. Nah, surely not. Don't think so. No. I mean, look... W- we could be adding share to the the, uh, the injury list anyway, which means it's Lascelles and Botman on Saturday. We've got four three three saying go old school. Botman a share, um, a move, Botman share as the stop has moved down, burn the centre back and put Tino out wide, long staff to the bench. Mm, I mean that that relies on how doing something that he very rarely does and going five at the back. Well, a lot of people said five anyway. at the back. For the players we've got available, it's probably switching to three at the back. Says John. If we go into Arsenal uh, with this current system, I feel it'll be a massacre. Mm. They tried it during pre-season, didn't they, where they went sort of three three at the back, wing-backs. Um, look, away at the Emirates, is it, is it a place to try something new? You could argue potentially. You, you maybe have to show up that defence, don't you? You Maybe five at the back's not the worst option. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you go, what, Tino left-back, Trippier right-back, and then Botman, Lascelles, and Byrne centre-back? Yeah, if if in, yeah, because I... Even with Botman and Cher and, uh, and um, Dan Byrne, it's lacking a little bit of pace, but then yeah. the sales hasn't got much of the pace. It, so basically, who, who yeah, the, I think that's the other issue for? is that the pace is, is a massive issue. Um, we've got Coy saying changing the full-backs of Livermore and Lewis Hall should be given a chance, especially next week at Arsenal. We, st- we shall need pace at the back. Lewis Hall will come in. He'll have to find him first, missing, <laughs> isn't he? A lot of people pointing out that Joe Linton and, and, and Joe Willock are missing, and that's yeah, that's and a big. Willock's miss. a huge one that we haven't even mentioned, but he's so key to the way this team play going forward. And you remember how much praise him and Joe Linton got together for being those left side enforcers, don't you? Uh, middle of last season, um, thankfully he looks like he's really really close to a return, which is going to be a huge boost. Um, we've got Nicola who says be more adaptive when it comes to games. Next week, for example, play a 3-5-2 against Wolves, play a 4-4-2 against Chelsea, play a 4-3-3. It's simple, really. Just requires a bit of coaching. Hmm. That's a lot of formation changes. I was going to say three games, three different formations for a manager who very, very rarely moves from a 4-3-3. I'll, uh, I don't think we'll be seeing that. And John says, I think either back three with Trippi and Tino as full-backs 
uh, or you may as well play 4-2-3-1. So a lot of people wanting a uh, change at the back. I think it's obvious it's time to move Dan Burns, says Golinson, Latino, but at the same time, I think we could look to move into a 5-2-3-5-4-1 formation to help solidify us. A medium trio, uh, a midfield trio of Longstaff, Miley and Bruno really doesn't help us defensively. Southern Jordy says back five, switch it to four and attack. For me, Tino and Lascelles and Kraft need to come in. Not enough Kraft. pace to Ooh. play with a four into three. Is that your burner account? Call a friendly account? <laughs> I think he might even, does he mean, might even come in at centre? I don't know. Each player is awful one versus one. Combo of Pope and Dope is needed new. And a lot of people also point out that they need um, a defensive midfielder. Right, Martin Dubravka, briefly, bad mistake, but he, Look, he kept Newcastle in that game, really, didn't he? Very good first half, two massive saves. Um, can't can't blame him for the goal. Um, it was just an absolute error. Um, and, it, I mean, it started absolutely lashing down as soon as the half-time whistle went. The players came out. It was obviously a bit slippy. Um, but I thought on the whole, he, he had quite a good game, some big, big saves. But you just don't feel that confidence that you feel when Pope's in goal, do you? And if you don't feel confident... With Martin Dubravka between the sticks, he's yeah. going to race off his line and smother the ball. Yeah. You don't feel confident with Dan Byrne going up against pace. You, you can understand maybe why there's just no confidence between the back four. And then that obviously comes from the terraces as well. Yeah, 100%. And I, look, I think Dubravka on the whole has been very, very good. Um, I think he's he's proved a lot of people wrong in terms of what he's done over the last six weeks or so. But... Um, there's definitely issues that need iron out, and I think long term, uh, I think his future's probably away from the club at the, at the end of the day. Um, we've got people in the comments saying switch to a back five. Uh, that seems to be the general consensus. Um, yeah, and if we don't stiff in the midfield against Arsenal, we'll get mullered, says the mighty win. On to the midfield, though. Let's talk about Lewis Smiley because he was absolutely superb. On Saturday, actually, in those Twitter comments, someone's just said he doesn't get his foot in the challenge all that often. Mm. He won nearly every single challenge <laughs> he went into. I felt on Saturday they could not get away from him, and then he can pass the ball as well. He's so calm, and there was a pass early in the first off when he just puts his foot on it, switches over to the right. Man of the match for me on Saturday, Lewis Smiley, absolutely superb. And he, I think he needed that performance as well because a lot of people are saying. Look, he's, he's, he's regressed in many ways and it's tough, you know, a 17-year-old doesn't want to be thrown in this situation where there are no options to change your way. He's got the world on his shoulders, but that was a top-class performance. Yeah, really, really good, really strong. Um, another one where he started playing quite deep in that holding role, um, but I think he actually played a, a number of different roles. He was switching quite a lot towards the end of the game and just looks unflustered in every single one of them. I thought his passing range is getting much better. Um, the composure he shows for such a young lad is fantastic. A really tricky game as well on Saturday when things aren't going right and you've got to battle through. Um, but look, I think you know he got that standing ovation when he came off and I think it was really deserved. He was, he was my man of the match as well. Because he has been asked to fill in that deeper role which um, Bruno couldn't do very, very well. And that's again, that's a mm. big, big task for him. But he's, he, he, he showed on Saturday that actually he can do it pretty well. Yeah, look, it's early days, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But in the last two games, especially, he's looked a lot more um, settled in that role than he did when he played there at Bournemouth before Christmas. Um, look, is he the is he the long term answer at Newcastle needing a six? No. Time will tell. Do you not think? No. 
No, it's going to have to fill out quite a lot. Well, I, yeah. I don't even think it's filled out. I think he has to get a lot better with the defensive side of his game, and I think he's. It, was, to... it was the first time he was a bit of an ankle biter on Saturday, and it, yeah. that's what really stood for me. I, just every time he went for the challenge, I think it's probably twice or thrice he didn't actually win the ball in the challenge, and I think there was about seven or eight attempts, nine, ten, where he actually won the ball. Mm. But look for the short term, and given the fact that Eddie Howe just has no options for the middle of the park, I mean Sean Longstaff, bless him. I mean lots of people slagging his performance off, but I mean he's played a lot of minutes. Um, a lot of games without a break because they've just got no one else um, so I think for the minute he's doing a very very good job in that holding role really do like him um, and hopefully look but if, if he keeps playing like this at the end of the season there's absolutely no reason he can't become Newcastle's out and out defensive midfielder we'll see and also it's not just, Calvin Phillips well god it's going from bad to worse isn't it Um I saw someone putting a really good, uh, a really interesting thing on Saturday. I can't remember who it was, so apologies. But um, when Willett comes back, Longstaff, they want to drop out? I would, and I think the majority of people would, yeah. but I don't think Eddie Howe will. Really? I think Eddie Howe would drop out Lewis Miley. Mm, I'm not so sure. And it would be a terrible shame. But <sighs> Lewis Miley's earned it. Mm, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that would be my three, but... Um, Bruno... Coming through another game without a yellow card. The man has discipline. Somebody put in the comments when me and Sam were doing the Monday show last week, um, can Bruno play uh, with the threat of suspension hanging over him from now till the end of the season? Because whatever it's doing, it's working. And I sort of scoffed, but actually I'm starting to come up with the idea. He was on the cusp on Saturday. There was one moment when he was mouthing off to somebody and I was thinking he's getting a book in the LA. But how, but I mean, what, he, he obviously picked up four bootings in a row, didn't he, before his run of, of none and he just seems like, man, possessed now, making mm. sure he doesn't get booked. I thought, he was, I thought he was good Saturday. Um, yeah, a lot of people praising his composure on the ball. Although see, it was a bit of hot attack moment towards the end that was going to be the what the one weakness I was going to point out is that there was a couple of times where he was just doing too much with it I hate it I, I, I really didn't like it because when the game was hanging in the balance like that and yes it worked out it, you know it came off from everybody's been sharing that nutmeg on the edge <laughs> imagine of his own box. that's gone wrong imagine <laughs> he tries to nutmeg the player and Bournemouth go and score I mean there was a moment he's doing kicky ups uh, in by his the box I, so look yeah you, on one hand you can <laughs> say his composure is brilliant but uh, look for anyone with a, a dodgy ticker I think it was probably a bit too much but I thought he was very good and it was another game where Newcastle have been down and out and struggling and he's just sort of picked them up and and really you know carried them through at the end of a game um, Jacob Murphy well, I mean when Bruno played that ball over the top Jacob Murphy just needs to put his foot through it. He completely bottled it. Obviously, great assist for, for Richie's goal. Uh, I thought it was another really, really good performance. I just said here, he made zero tackles. I'm sh I'm assuming he's talking about my point about um, Lewis Miley. I can guarantee he did not make zero tackles, unless you count them as interceptions. But he definitely um, was, was, was getting about and stopping um, the opposition from playing. Um, yeah, Bruno, another fantastic performance. He's, uh, he's getting back to form. VAR... I've got a rude word written down here. And even though it was VAR in Newcastle United's favour, can you explain to me what happened for the penalty? In short, no. I um, am I mean, I've, 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 I've looked at the rules, um, and for the life of me, I can't really understand how on earth that is the rules. But look, Should we try and explain it for those who've been you living can, under You can, you can have a so, go. So, my understanding, and I've, uh, I'll take this from what, a bit from what Danny Murphy said on, on Match of the Day, 
Fabian Chair was in an offside position, but because he hadn't committed an offside offence, the tug on his shirt was a foul and therefore a penalty, and that's why he was given the penalty. Yeah. And we all celebrate. Yes, you know, great, it helps us get a point. But I tell you what, I can understand why the Bournemouth manager is absolutely raging because surely the moment that ball is kicked, he then becomes offside. And well, therefore, it it surely overrules the tug of the ship because he wouldn't be making that run if he's not trying to meet the ball, but he's in an offside position. I, I mean, that is... we. There's a lot wrong with the rules, and that for me is up there with. I'm, and I'm happy Newcastle got the penalty. Yeah, I'm happy when Newcastle's way. Utterly bizarre. Yeah, really bizarre. And you can understand why Iraola was absolutely incensed when he came spoke to us after the game. He's very, very unhappy. So he's not clever enough to understand the rules. Um, and it sounded like he'd been in the referee's office at full time St James's Park, asking for an explanation. They've given him it, and he just didn't have a clue as to. Why it was given, I think he's not alone in that because, again, it's just another rule that you look at and think that is just very, very backwards. But we'll take but it. we'll take it. Johnny's uh, clarified his no tackles point. He said Miley did make six tackles and won 12 duels. That's the, what I was talking about. He's saying, he's making the point that Bruno made zero tackles. So there you go on that one. Matt Ritchie, ladies and gentlemen, out um, uh, from the cold, thrown in, gets the all-important equaliser. How difficult is it, Aaron, for a player to be switched on and, and ready to make that impact when you are literally playing zero minutes month after month after month? Yeah, um, tricky. I think it was, you know, a lot of people sort of looked at the bench when he was bringing on Joe White and Matt Ritchie and thought, well, you know, what good's that going to do? Um, and obviously it worked out this time. Um, we've probably seen the last Matt Ritchie corner flag kicking. Um, I love how he told the referee where to go when he said go and pick a yeah. back I also love that he was the only one that went to celebrate and everyone else was running back to the halfway line and it took him about 30 seconds to realise that he was the only one celebrating in the corner. I think there's a little bit of regret about that at full time. Um, still not over the fact that Richie actually tried to head it across goal despite being six yards out. Got very, very lucky, but again, we'll take it. Um, yeah, good for Richie. You know, Eddie House spoke very, very highly of him. There was a reason he was given a new contract and it wasn't probably to score last-minute winners. It was a be part of the dressing room, but... Yeah, it worked this time. So. Emphasises the point, though, doesn't it, about Newcastle's struggles on the injury front? Yeah. Because what did you think when you saw the board go up and you saw Matt Ritchie's number? They've given up. They've given up? Well, maybe maybe that's a bit harsh, but, you know, I thought, well, Matt Ritchie coming on, I didn't expect him to pop up and salvage the, the point, but it shows you what I know. It does. That's why you're sitting here and not in the dugout. Richie says, Richie, Roger says, Richie, passion, passion, passion. Niall says, bonkers. I was saying, can't believe we are bringing him on. And then, bang, goal. Great to see Richie uh, get that like, equaliser. And uh, we do uh, send our best wishes to the corner flag. Right, shall we finish on a bit of trivia? Are you ready? It's to do with Matt Richie. So, Matt Richie scored a Premier League goal for Newcastle United at the age of 34 years and 160 days. It puts him fourth on the top ten list of the oldest Newcastle United Premier League goal scorers. Can you name the other nine? Oldest Premier League goal scorers for Newcastle. Yeah. Now I can help you out. I've got the. Uh, I can either give you the, the, the date of the, the the last goal they scored. I can give you the age, uh, the time they scored it. Mm. Um, right. I'll tell you what. We'll just try and go for some off the cuff. We'll go Shearer. Alan Shearer. He's second in the list. Thirty-five years. Of age, 248 days. Um, Patrick Clivert. 
Kyle Kleiber. He is not um, on the top 10. Uh, Mark Verduga. Mark Verduga is not in the top 10. It's going well. Um, there is uh, one player currently in the Newcastle United team. Um, how old did you say Richie was? Richie was, he was 34 years and 160 days. So this player is ninth in the list. He's a current player. He last scored on the 3rd of February, 2024. Trippier. Kieran Trippier, 33 years and 137 days. Um, right, uh, top of the list was 36 years and 56 days. He's a man who got better with age. For me, the best ever Newcastle player. The Jordy Messi. Oh, Beardsley. Peter Beardsley. Then Alan Shearer. Then you've got a midfielder, Maestro, who scored 35 years, 227 days. Sir John Hall describes him as his best ever signing. Robert Lee. Then Matt Ritchie. Then you've got a Scottish international, Sir Bob Robson's first um, signing. Um, Scottish international. Let's just interrupt that. Come on then. What's just broken there? Um, just just Newcastle United confirming sorry I was a bit uh, distracted during that Dan, uh, Newcastle confirming that Dan Ashworth has commenced his gardening leave uh, Darren Neal's Newcastle CEO saying we are naturally disappointed that Dan has chosen to leave however our exciting journey doesn't stop and the process to recruit a new sporting director begins immediately we thank Dan for his efforts at Newcastle and wish him well for the future wow what do you make of that comment there from Darren Neal's? I mean that is and we were talking about if there's any way back, there is no way back for Dan Ashworth after that uh, statement. That is a brutal little statement, but understandable, you, you, you feel. Yeah. Because they, they, they will be hurt by that. Yeah, I mean, and look, Newcastle fans are right to be hurt. Uh, Darren Neal's in the club and Eddie Howe right to be hurt. I think you could tell the undertone of Eddie Howe's press conference the other day. He, he wasn't a happy man. Um, and yeah, we've now had it confirmed by Newcastle that uh, Dan Ashworth has started gone and leaving. It does sound like he is, uh, he's gone. He's mm. on the way out. Oh, he's gone. There's no way back from that at all, is there? And why do you think they've released that? And why do you think they've... They, it's not something they would maybe usually do, right? No, uh, yeah, not not too sure. Very, very, you know, um, uncharacteristic to have the CEO as well commenting on a mm. matter. But yeah, like uh, putting a name to a, to yeah, a statement. Got out, got out ahead of it, maybe. Um, it is interesting that it's a name to the statement, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there you go. The, the beauty of doing things live. <laughs> right, quick, we'll finish this off. So... Peter Beardsley, Alan Shearer, uh, Rob Lee, Matt Ritchie, Kevin Gallagher, um, that up the list there to five. And then you had a midfielder, Welsh international, sadly no longer with us. Uh, Gary Speed. Yeah, next on the list was um, someone who was signed right at the end of his career, um, a Liverpool legend, England legend, not so much of a legend at Newcastle. Uh, John Barnes. Yeah, six goals that season, John Barnes. Former captain, curly hair. Colchini. Then Kieran Trippier. And last on the list, Former My United, well, he is a My United legend. Owns owns Salford United, does he? With the uh, Nicky Butt, Nicky Butt, caps off the top ten list. So that was uh, the top ten oldest Premier League goal scorers for Newcastle United. And as you've just heard there, uh, live breaking live on the Everything Is Black and White podcast, Newcastle United have confirmed that Dan Ashworth is now on gardening leave. Uh, Darren Neal saying that the club are disappointed that Dan Ashworth has chosen to leave you can head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest with Dan Ashworth well it's no longer imminent exit it is an exit and now we just wait to see if indeed he serves his garden leave or heads to Manchester United and Newcastle get a tasty little compensation fee thank you very much for tuning in hit subscribe hit follow and we'll see you guys very soon